Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Front Porch Conversation on Justice. Your host today is Charles Cheek, and we're going to be talking about a subject that's dear to our hearts and uh, of concern of a lot of folks here in this area, and and not only this area, but in the country as a whole. Uh, we're going to be talking about jobs for life. Uh, and in that context, we're going to be looking at how jobs for life helps restore dignity and change lives and transform communities. Uh, we're going to be talking about relational ministry and how this comes about in, in terms of serving people and, uh, and how people have to give up themselves in order to help others, which is a hard thing to do. You know, because so often we're willing, we're not so willing to surrender ourselves because we got to give up so much. But but we're here not to serve ourselves, but to serve others. So we're going to talk about that today and some other things with Shea Bethea with Jaws of Life. She's the tra- Director of Training and Leadership Development down at the National Office in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is favorite, one of my favorite barbecue places. Uh, but we'll leave the food subject alone today and talk about this uh, important ministry. So, Shay, welcome to Front Porch Conversation on Justice. Well, thank you, Charles. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we're going to uh, talk about first who Shay is and how did Shay get to this point with Jobs for Life and working with relational ministry and helping to transform communities and changing lives and helping folks find that, that dignity that they're so they're looking forward to or looking for in their lives? That's a great question, Charles. And, and my immediate response to your question is Jobs for Life is my life. What we do at Jobs for Life has been something that I have experienced over almost 50 years of living now, and that is connecting individuals who are from different walks of life, different socioeconomic statuses, different educational backgrounds together um, to build a community, that that's um, a flourishing community, I would say. And so um, it's definitely a God thing for me being at Jobs for Life is being able to share my life experiences and, and um, being able to implement that in the work that I do through the churches and through business um, businesses, business leaders, and other organizations and ministries. So I'm excited about, you know, having the opportunity to be a bridge um, between different cultures and different worlds. How, how did you first become involved with Jobs for Life, and how, how long have you been uh, working with them in, in this ministry? So January of 2018 would be seven years that I've been in full with Jobs for Life. And it's really funny how I uh, learned about Jobs for Life. I was at a friend's house and noticed a book on her coffee table, and the book uh, was entitled how to alleviate poverty without hurting the poor or yourself. And immediately when I read the title of the book, I was like, oh, my goodness, where in the world did you get this book? 
And she said, I was at a luncheon um, with this local organization called Jobs for Life. Have you ever heard of it? Nope. I never heard of Jobs for Life. And that was in 2011, mind you. And at that time, I owned a painting company and was volunteering at um, Habitat for Humanity. And during this time, the economy, you know, had hit an all-time low, and I ended up having to close my company. But in volunteering, um, a young lady working at Habitat told me about an open position. And guess where the open position was? You get hmm. it, jobs for life. Okay. So I applied for that position, that open position, and the rest is it. So it all started okay. from a book on a coffee table. Isn't that something? Can you give me that book? <laughs> Maybe some of the stars in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's um, entitled um, Helping Without Hurting. The authors okay. are um, Steve Corbett and, oh, my God, he would kill me. Um, that's okay. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm familiar I am with the book. Blank. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's okay. I'm familiar with the book, and I'm sure quite a few others are. But if they aren't, they can certainly Google it and, or go on Amazon and find out um, what they need to do in order to get it. You know, off, you know, Shay, often we, we're looking elsewhere for um, solutions when it comes to this thing called poverty whether it be spiritual or material. And, uh, and and those solutions we often look for are in the form of programs. And, and usually we're looking to the seats of government or, or in, in, in many contexts in, in, this, in the world of Christianity or religion, uh, we're looking to denominate, in denominational ministries, we're looking towards the hierarchy for directions and approval in order to, to do something. But Joshua Life looks at it a little differently. And Can you talk a little bit about that? Sir? Yeah, so when you talk about poverty, um, first of all, we need to define what poverty is. And the other author of the book is Brian Thicker. He's going to kill me. Brian Thicker and Steve, Cor- <laughs> Steve Corbett. <laughs> okay. And they are two intellectuals from the Chalmers Center of Economic Development who has redefined poverty. And their redefinition of poverty is simply broken relationships. And if you look at um, the money over the years that have been allocated, the billions of dollars that have been allocated um, from the government in in regards to poverty, talking about programs. We have all of these programs in place, but guess what? Charles, we still have, have poverty in existence. And so when you look at poverty and you look at the definition of it, a lot of times people look at it as the lack of material possessions or material resources. But let's look at poverty from the perspective and the lens of broken relationships. And really, what does that mean? So Brian and Steve talk about in this book, When Helping Hurt, broken relationships in four key areas. Um, God, self, others, and the world. And so when we look at jobs for life and we look at how we approach poverty, we approach poverty in a way that, we incorporate relationships at the core of what we do. And when you incorporate the relationships at the core of what you do, then you bring, you bring the church, you bring the business world, the material world, because we need them involved, because that's where employment is, and the men and women who are in need of employment. So we bring those three entities together, and we help bridge that gap. And when we help bridge that gap, what happens is bringing those three entities together, people, their dignity is restored. Relationships that wouldn't ordinarily be cultivated happen in this environment when we're bringing these three worlds together. So if you're talking about a program, programs are transactional, ministry is transformational, and that's the difference with Jobs for Life. We believe that there is transformation that happens when you're bringing those three entities into a community when you're talking about cultivating relationships. I know that was a long answer, but I hope that answered your question. Yeah, it did. It did. It, it, and it 
kind of sparked something else uh, when, you, when you're saying that programs are transactional. Uh, mm-hmm. How does when we know that we're surrounded by programs? Uh, mm-hmm. How does Jobs of Life even enter that world to uh, to to make a difference uh, somewhere? How do we enter? How do you enter into a community uh, so that we can have this transformational ministry that uh, affects the, the dignity of, of individuals in turn, again, changing lives and transforming communities? I am convinced, Charles, that it is the mindset of those of us who are entering into relational ministry. And it, it's your posture when you enter into relational ministry with the posture of, of um, I, I need to get something out of this relationship just like you. Right, so I'm not entering into this relationship with a Messiah complex. I'm here to fix you. I need to be fixed just like you. You have answers to my need, just like I. God will use me to have answers to your need. So it's a both and. It's I'm here for you, and you're here for me. That's what makes the difference with Jobs for Life. That's how communities are being transformed. Because when you go into a community. A lot of times people go into what they call un, uh, underserved communities thinking that there are no assets in that community. Well, when you enter into that community, you have to see that the individuals who are living in that community are assets. They have gifts. They have talents. They have abilities that is needed. And we have to be able to recognize that they possess those those talents, those gifts, and those abilities. So it all has to do, from my perspective, as I am convinced, it's your posture and how you enter into it. So if, if it's my posture and, and um, uh, someone might be listening and, and, uh, and, and they're saying, you know, I have this stuff in my life, you know, I have this brokenness in my life, how can I effectively can – how can I effectively – enter into some sort of relational ministry to help someone else when I, too, am broken. Mm-hmm. Because the Bible says two are better than one. When one is okay. weak, the other can um, help that one as you're into this relationship together. And we also have the ministry of reconciliation. Yes, although I am broken, there there is still something that I have to give. I'm not broken to the point that I don't have any gifts, any talents that can't be tapped into to be utilized for the betterment or for the flourishing of my community. Um, And we have to know that even in our brokenness, we can still be used. I mean, when you look through scripture, you see that happening over and over and over again. That's who God used. He used broken people. And so that's the mindset that we look at relational ministry. Okay. So if someone wants to get involved with um, with, with Jobs for Life, well, where do we start? Where do we start initially? I mean, if a church is, has an interest or a nonprofit um, or a group of people have an interest in addressing these um, uh, these unemployment issues, because uh, I know Jobs for Life mm-hmm. says that uh, unemployment is a global problem, but yet it requires a local solution. So how Mm -hmm. do we enter into that to become a local solution? That's a great question. And my immediate response to that is, you know, what do you, as the citizens of the community, the individuals in a specific community, what do you want to see happen in your city? Like, we, we really need to be conscious of what is really happening in our community. So if jobs is an issue, then we in within this city, because we reside here and we want to see a change in our community, now what do we do to be the solution for this issue? First of all, you have to come together. Secondly, you need to pray. And then thirdly, you need to get connected to organizations like Jobs for Life, because Jobs for Life is not the only organization out there that's addressing the unemployment and underemployment issue. We're one of many. 
get connected to an, an organization like Jobs for Life who can help walk you through the methodology that it takes to provide that solution in your community. And so if you are a church in your area, Charles, who wants to get involved in Jobs for Life, connect with us. Go to our website. Let us know that you are one of the many organizations or churches or ministries who have a heart for the underemployed and the unemployed. And let us connect. Let us hear your heart for your city to see if Jobs for Life is the best next step for you. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and, and that last statement you made about if Jobs for Life is the right vehicle for you or platform for, for you, I think it's important because all too often we want to jump into something just because we see some stars, some glittering stars mm-hmm. somewhere, and, um, and, and all too often is not the right for us uh, to because uh, everybody can't do everything um, realizing that uh, one of one of the things that uh, that, that I was looking at um, uh, is this whole thing with flipping the list because I mean that, that's really interesting in terms of what churches and and we as society look at most as being that which benefits or helps a person when in actuality it enables them and, and doesn't get to the real issue. Uh, so Jocelyn Life takes that and look, looks at it in, in a different context in terms of the way we are, I, I guess, ministering to people and, and to their needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and that's what I was talking about earlier in terms of when you talk about flipping the list, it's, it's about helping an individual who may have gone through um, some turbulent times in their lives and for whatever reason have lost their sense of purpose, have um, allowed situations and circumstances to begin to dictate to them in regard to their value. And so when you talk about flip the list and you're using the church to build community around individuals who may have entered into some turbulent times and what they need is one community to wrap around them. But in that community, we're bringing in the business leaders and the business owners because a lot of times, Charles, it's not that people don't want to work. It's that they don't have the right network to have access to. And so in a Jobs for Life culture, we bring the church, the people who are in need of work with the business world, and give them access to employers that they normally wouldn't have access to because of the network and the community that has been created within the JFL culture. Does that make sense? It, it all does, and, and it's raising 900 more questions, so I hope you got three more hours. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> of course I do for you, only for you, only for all right. you. All right, well, let's, let's, let's back up here and go back a step, I mean, several steps, uh, because okay. we, we talked about what Jobs for Life is doing now, but how did this thing start? How did this, this 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 truck get rolling down the highway. <laughs> it started back in 1996 between a, a white businessman and an African American pastor, and both of them were serving each other's needs. Pastor um, Donald McCoy needed his parking lot paid because his wife and some of the women in the church were complaining about how their gravel parking lot was ruining their heels. And anyone knows when you're married, a happy wife means a happy life. So (laughs) he has to find a solution quickly um, so that his wife and the the women of the church would not continue to be unhappy. And so he called C.C. Mangum, which was a local paving company here in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. And it just so happened the owner, Chris Mangum, answered the phone. And Chris had heard a message that was delivered by Dr. Um, 
Oh my God. Uh, John Perkins. John Perkins, yes, thank you. Dr. John Perkins. And um, within his message, Chris heard him say that you should really pursue a relationship with someone who doesn't look like you. And particularly, Chris took it to, for him as being an African American. And so when Pastor McCord called, he knew that that was an answer to his prayer. And so at the end of the project, um, they went into the church and they prayed together. And as a result of that, they started meeting together on a regular regular basis. Uh, once a week, they would get together and have lunch. And over a course of time, they started trusting each other with their problems. And Chris shared with him that he was losing a lot of money because trucks were being um, stationary. Um, at his business, and Pastor McCoy had people who were coming to him at the church saying that they needed work. And they, um, of course, provided each other the solution for each other's needs. And over a course of time, Pastor McCoy invited more of his friends, and Chris invited more of his friends to join their relationship and meeting on a weekly basis for lunch, break, and bread together. And as a result of that Jobs for Life, at that time it was called the National Jobs Partnership, it was born out of the need. Right. Out of a need. Out of a need mm-hmm. in a relationship. Okay, okay. That's it, right. from a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and that's, the, that's, that's the simplest form of, of anything starting anywhere, a need and a relationship. But yes. A relationship that's based on... God and not on man's whims. Okay. That's right. Um, uh, so I mean that, that that's so. Where's Jobs for Life today in terms of its uh, uh, since that growth started back then? Where is it today in terms of the, it's spread across the country, across the world? Or uh, I don't know if you're Absolutely. on Mars or the, moon or the moon yet, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> not yet, not yet. But we are currently in eight countries. And we have sites within 42 states. So the Lord has been gracious. um, And I think the church is now at a place where we want to answer the clarion call. We want to answer the mandate that the Lord has placed on the church. And um, I think for such a time as this, people want to approach it not from a transactional lens, but from a a transformational perspective. And from a transformational perspective, then leads you into holistic ministry because there are different areas and different facets that need to be addressed. You know, not just the jobs. People need homes. They need transportation. They need education. So um, it's, a, it's a holistic approach that we need to look at as well, too, Charles, I would say. Okay, okay. Now, all right, we're gonna we're gonna go through this process now. Um, uh, in, in terms of what does a a person, a group of people, or uh, or a church uh, that desires to enter into a relationships with Jobs for Life to set up a pro uh, a, a I hate to say the word programs to set up this ministry to uh, mm-hmm. to start addressing the needs of the community and helping folks to. Uh, to find out who they are and what they are and, and their intention, uh, that what God intended for them to do as human beings. Okay. My, my first um, response to that would be, first of all, I think churches need to identify their specific target audience because there are a lot of audiences that need to be served, and you have to know what audience you have been called to serve so that you can be more effective um, in serving the audience that you've been called to serve. Secondly, I would say connect with Jobs for Life and get trained. That would be the next step is to get trained to understand the methodology of Jobs for Life, our culture, and our DNA, and understand the commitment that it requires. We, we know that relationships, you know, any type of relationship that we enter into, there has to be a level of expectation of commitment that we have to go in understanding that it's going to take. 
And when you talk about relational ministry, this is not something that you enter into lightly. You know that this um, there will be some disappointments along the way. That's in any relationship, Charles, that we enter into. There are some times that, you know, it's, it's rough, it's disappointing, it's bloody, but at the end of the day, it is so rewarding because we are fulfilling purpose and we're fulfilling the mandate that the Lord has placed on the church. So um, that would be my recommendation for ministries and organizations who desire to enter into um, relational ministry is first identify your target audience, get trained, connect with, with an organization like Jobs for Life and get trained and understand the level of commitment that it's going to take to be effective in the call that God has placed upon your ministry or your organization. Okay. Well, tell us about this training that Child that, that, uh, for Life um, has. Well, I mean, what, what, what does it entail uh, for uh, an individual or, or church or, or somebody to, uh, to become, uh, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say the word certified or let's just say uh, that they're able let's to say proceed quit. forward. Equipped. Yes, yeah, let's, yes yeah. let's say let's use the word equipped. So, um, in this training, uh, J, it's called JFL Core, and we have it's a one and a half day. The half day is an optional um, time right now. We, we're really going to try to make sure that everybody understands that this half day that is optional is very key in being successful in your ministry because. That half day, we really go deep in understanding relational poverty. And so that is a day and a half. Um, we talk about the first, the optional is an evening before the full day of training is understanding relational poverty. And then the second day, we talk about relationships and the value of work. We talk about how to recruit your site leadership team. We talk about the how, so that's the class logistics and the class evaluation of Jobs for Life, the class itself. And then um, when the leaders lead the training, they will have an action plan. So that means that they will have a blueprint and a framework that they will be able to utilize as a guide to be able to implement their JFL ministry once they get back to their city or their community. So we're going to talk to them about the why, and then we're going to equip them on the how to do jobs for life. What what, is, what has been the relationship um, uh, with with this, with the business community, with the re- reception in, uh, in terms of jobs for life and its graduates? Uh, is there some magic formula that's out there that that the business community just jumps on board because they just, ah, oh, we like this, we like the name, or is there some sort of relationship building there? That's a great question. First of all, let me let me preface my answer with this. Business owners and business leaders are staying up at night because they can't find good employees, Charles. And one of the things that I think helps us in the relationship building process with business owners and business leaders is that the business owners and business leaders have the opportunity to come into the classroom to see exactly how potential employees are trained, equipped, and supported. And I will tell you, from being able to allow them access and they can get involved in several different ways within a Jobs for Life ministry has made the difference. It really has made the difference because it, for one, it affirms the business owner and how they are able to pour into potential employees before they even hire them. They have the opportunity to come in and participate in um, interviews, mock interviews, as well as real life in, live interviews. They have the opportunity to come in and 
um, be a part of what is called the employer roundtable discussion. So they're sharing with the potential employees what they're looking for um, and what it takes to maintain uh, uh, work in their particular um, company or organization. They also get the opportunity to be a mentor, which really, really um, allows the business owners and business leaders to give back into the community the way that they desire to because, believe it or not, business owners are looking for ways to allow their business and, 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 and their companies to be a blessing to the people within the community. That's one of the things that we constantly hear from business owners. They want their businesses to be used to bless the community that their business where their businesses are located. They get the opportunity to be um, speakers at the graduation. So it's many different ways that business owners can be involved and engaged in a job select class, which um, aids and increases the cultivation of the relationship, which I think um, allows it to be easier um, for us to build that relationship and allow them to hire graduates because they have that experience in terms of the engagement and involvement that they have with the class. Sean, did I lose you? You know, often, oftentimes we, we, when we talk about um, social and biblical justice issues uh, and we approach the church or even the community in general, uh, we can find we find resistance, especially when we mention those those uh, those nasty words like social and biblical justice. Uh, how how does jobs for life intersect with with that? Uh, because I'm hearing a lot of that in terms of equity. Uh, you know, it, it does it present a problem? Does it? Are the are those terms even utilized in, in terms of presentation? Um, that comes out in understanding relational poverty. Okay. Um, as as you and I both know, um, for many many years, individuals have worked in positions at particular companies and jobs, and they have not obtained a sustainable wage. Well, Charles, if you are a believer and you own a company, what is biblical about that? Mm. And so when we talk about biblical justice, when we talk about the mandate that the Lord has placed on the church as a business owner, I have an obligation if I am a believer now. I have an obligation to adhere my company to Scripture. And oftentimes when we enter into these relationships and we start talking about relational poverty, we have to go there. And it is, it is um, an uncomfortable place to be. But uncomfortability is a good thing when you are seeking change, when you're wanting change, when you're desiring change as a Christian business owner, um, because you want to make sure that your business is lined up with the Word of God. And so, yes, we, we talk about that. And um, I don't know if the word is resistant as much as it is um, uncomfortable, um, but we have seen change in the way that business owners, once they enter into a jobs for life ministry, how then that translates in, down into their company and how they treat their employees. Okay, so we we can relate back and going back, and let's let's, let's look at the church itself uh, because uh, that too those terms are not welcome everywhere. Uh, in all churches, I mean, it, you, someone could say, "I'm I'm willing to uh, work on helping those who are living in poverty, the unemployed, etc." But relating it to justice, uh, but when we mention justice, 
it's a justice issue, then this wall start going up. How do you bridge that? Or or you just look at it in terms that um, Jobs for Life and some of these others are not fit for certain people to do. And how do you, how do you even address that in terms of if I insist that this is something I want to do, uh, does the training vet out those folks who may find it uncomfortable for them to even engage in this? Or how, how does that process even occur? Yeah, so when you're talking about training, you're talking about hitting those areas where people will feel vulnerable. Um, those in the, the individuals who find themselves in a place that they're not willing to be vulnerable enough, vulnerable enough to enter into uh, relationships where justice has to um, be like a sounding bell or an alarm that's being sounded. Um, yes, then those individuals are not ready, and we can't make people be ready for something that they're not ready for. But what I will tell you is that it plants the seed. Mm-hmm. It plants the seed of individuals who, because it's all about wanting uh, the, uh, the willingness to give up power. People don't like to give up power, Charles, and you and I both know that. And when you're talking about justice, people have to be willing to give up a level of power that they have grown accustomed to, that they have become comfortable living in. And um, when you're talking about vulnerability and opening yourself up to relinquish some of your power, then um, the relationship that I'm in, I'm looking at it now as a threat as opposed to a blessing because it's something that needs to happen internally within me. So there's some things that need to happen internally within me. And in order for that to happen, in order for me to give up power, then something on the inside of me is going to have to change. And change is hard for people. You and I both know people don't like to change. It's hard because when when you change, there's a level of accountability that comes with the change, mm. right? And exactly. so now I'm, I have to be held accountable for the change. And people don't don't want to do that, and so that's that's what happens in the the understanding relational poverty. That areas that we touch, um, and we go deep in because so, we so, have to understand that. Yeah, go right, ahead. Right. So the so the classroom really becomes a lab. Um, in, in Absolutely. Terms of, yeah, between student and. Uh, and, and, and teacher or whatever mentor or whatever else is occurring at class. There, there are some positional. Um, we'll get to that in in a minute. Um, so this this lab is a transformation process, not only from uh, from the material or the job for life curriculum, but also in terms of those relationships between the individuals involved, whether they be student or, uh, or instructor or whatever position they may hold. Absolutely, because then that's when you come back to the brokenness, broken people. You're entering into a relationship. We all have some level of brokenness in our lives. Your brokenness might not be at the same place mine is, but we both have some brokenness in our lives. But because we have been called to a ministry of reconciliation, that's, that's what happens, and that's where the transformation happens. Because now I understand that I have something to give you, but you have something to give me as well. And it's not us and them. It's not, you know, it's not that separation. Now it is that unity, that unified front that happens. And so um, that's what happens in the Jobs for Life class, Charles. That's what happens. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So... Now is a good time. I, I guess we can look at um, what what sort of positions uh, does a site need to have? What what roles can people uh, fit into? Uh, because I know everybody can't do everything. Some things are, are better, and and this this will probably be a good time to to do those talent discoveries kind of things um, that are uh, that are within a church or within a group. So folks are are feeling comfortable where they are in terms of the Jostle Life site. Right. And so 
Yes, absolutely. At each site, we have what is called a site leadership team, and you're absolutely right. Um, relational ministry requires a team. It's too much for one person to take on by themselves because it is comprehensive, what we do um, in terms of a site leadership team and all the moving pieces that go with that and the moving parts. So there are seven different roles um, at a site leadership within a site leadership team. And you're talking about gifts and talents. Yes, they are key because there is a site a role called the site leader. That individual is going to oversee the site in every aspect of the site. There is a business relations leader. We need someone in the community sharing with business leaders and business owners the benefits of hiring JFL graduates. So that individual will be the ambassador or the spokesperson for the graduates within the class. We have a student relations leader. That individual is responsible for recruiting and interviewing all of the men and women who will enter into a job to life class. We have the course facilitators. Those individuals are going to um, facilitate the curriculum, and, and this curriculum is biblically based, by the way. It is taught twice a week, two hours um, of class instruction twice a week. Um, at a time, so we're talking about 32 hours of class instruction, 16 sessions, equating to eight weeks. So um, within this, within these roles, so you have the site leader, you have the business relations leader, you have the student relations leader, the class facilitator, you have um, the small group discussion leader and you have a prayer leader as well. So all of these individuals have specific roles that they are responsible for doing, which causes greater success at the site level. So all of them working together to ensure the success of the site. Okay, so it's it's a well-oiled machine, I assume, so at some point, so... um, uh, you know, everybody's working in tangent with one another to uh, to to make sure uh, what needs to happen happens. Biblically based. Why biblically based? Why? Why? <laughs> because um, you know, a lot of times when we talk to employers, they talk about. Um, what what's keeping them up at night as I shared earlier in the broadcast and what keeps them up at night is finding good employees, employees with character and so with this biblically based curriculum there are areas that we specifically focus on one is identity and two is character and so employers will quickly tell you that we we hire for character they will train individuals with whatever skills that they need but they need individuals who understand the value of work they need individuals who will show up to work on time they need individuals who would have the right attitude toward their work and so in Jobs for Life with this biblical um, curriculum that we have, these are the soft skills that are taught. They have that foundation of the, of the um, biblical principles that's taught within the classroom that causes an individual to understand their true identity and then allow them to develop um, or enhance the character that they need to maintain a job. It's easy to get a job. It's not as easy to maintain the job when you don't have the right character. And I think the biblical principles that's taught in the classroom um, causes the individuals to um, understand those principles and then be able to apply them in their work. All right. So, so should a should a um, a church or especially a church, uh, go into this looking at it as being a uh, an outreach to to fill their seats in the church, or I mean, if they go into it that way, are they being narrow focused uh, 
uh, in a sense, or should they look at it as just serving individuals in the community to, in, in order to uh, transform the community? You know, that's a great question, and, and I will respond to it this way, Charles. A lot of times when ministries or churches enter into communities that they label underserved uh, or under-resourced, for some reason they think that because individuals are, are challenged in um, resources, not having um, access to a lot of resources that they don't know God. Mm. Um, but I will submit to you, being an individual born into generational poverty, that there are many days that the only way that I did make it was because I already had a relationship with God. And mm-hmm. I think that is that is one key thing that a lot of ministries miss when they enter into what they label as underserved communities is that they think that the Lord is not working already. He is at work. It's just a matter of the lens that we're looking through. Can we see the work that he is already doing? And um, I think it's, um, it's a disservice to the community as well as the church if the church enters into relationship for the sole purpose of uh, increasing their numbers. That is not what um, the the biblical mandate for the church is. It's not to increase your numbers on a Sunday or at Bible study or to increase your numbers. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and so, yes, I think it's a distorted view when we enter into relationships that way. Yeah, yeah. Um... You know, because, you know, so often I see people examine ministries like they're examining stock they're getting ready to purchase, the benefit that it's going to bring them, uh, and not mm-hmm. so much not so much the uh, transformation that's going to occur in those th- those that are, that are around us, our neighbors, uh, uh, the ones that we're supposed to love and love on uh, as if it was ourselves. But then I, I, you get into trouble with that. As ourselves, because then we got to define who we are, uh, and, and that's a whole new conversation there. Uh, so, uh, in, in the minutes that we have left, I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, the structure of Jobs for Life and also the resources that National Office uh, provides to to support the sites and, and to assist in this developmental process and ongoing process of um, this transformation that occurred. Yeah, so um, the structure is that at the National Headquarters Office where I am blessed to be employed, um, what we do, we are an organization that equips leaders, ministry leaders, community leaders to facilitate the Joshua Life curriculum in your city, in your community, at your church, at your nonprofit organization. And because we believe that um, you know your community, of course, better than we do, and you know the needs of your community better than we do. So what we do is that we provide you with the tools and the necessary resources to help you um, be successful in your jobs for life ministry. Because this, uh, again, from a holistic perspective, it's just one area that, um, ministries can become involved in when you're talking about seeing your city flourish. So we provide that by way of having an online community network. We have an online community network that provides different um, blogs. We have um, different videos, different uh, resources like white papers on different issues that may arise or, or that may arise at the site level, whether it's addiction, whether it's mental illness, whether it's mass incarceration. So we have resources that will help better equip you to understand um, some of the necessary tools that you're going to need if, if, the, if the target audience is 
um, individuals who are returning home from incarceration, if it's single moms, if it's individuals who are trying to overcome addiction, whether it's substance or alcohol. So we have webinars um, that you can be involved in that you can register to be a part of as well, as well as JLL4. So we have um, several resources that we give access to our leaders because we want to make sure that they feel supported, that they feel loved, and at the same time they can also call um, or they can chat via our website. They can do a live chat with our network support team as well as call us and we're uh, available um, to, to talk with leaders and share any type of wisdom or best practices that we've seen out in the field and as well as connecting them with other experts in the network that have um, had their jobs for life ministry for several years. We connect our leaders together so that they can learn from each other as well. So that, that's how we equip our leaders. Charles, I, can't, I don't know if you're saying something. I can't hear you if you're speaking. Okay, I'm sorry. Um I'm going to say I was saving this for the last because I know you're a preacher and uh, I know, you know, you might give me a good sermon topic for this Sunday, but this <laughs> statement I'm going to make. So, uh, you know, if, if I was hungry and homeless and an ex-offender uh, and just a broken person, um, why should I want to enter into a transaction that will I'm not seeing that's going to lead to transformation, uh, but ultimately it will, hopefully. Why do I want to even engage in, in, in jobs for life? What is there up front uh, or uh, not necessarily, I, I'll say up front or and, and, and through the process of engaging with a, a jobs for life site that's going to make me want to, to give up something or that I can see some benefit or at the, at the end that's going to um, result in, in a transformational process for me. I mean, I understand that's um, kind of wide open there, but I'm just going to put it out there on the table. Yeah, I think you just, you, I think you just tried to set me up. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just tried to set me up, but okay, I will take the bait and I will go here. Okay. So, first of all, I would say that in a job to life ministry, men and women who are coming you know, returning home from incarceration or in a process of overcoming an addiction. Um, individuals who are at the site level understand that we are not trying to take anything from people. We're trying to get something to them. But in trying to get something to them, they are giving something to us in return. So the power of reciprocity has to be in effect, and it is in effect in a Jobs for Life ministry if they are walking out JFL's DNA and culture. Now, the other side of that is, is that we all are created in the image of God. And when we are talking about being created in the image of God, we are equals. There are no big eyes and no little U's. And so when you're talking about um, the culture of jobs for life and individuals who are thinking, wow, I have all of this stuff in my past, why would anybody want to help me? Because somebody had to help us. Mm -hmm. Regardless of who we are, what our residence, our zip code is, our socioeconomic status is, somebody had to help us. And if if reciprocity is going to be in full effect, then, Charles, what I have been given, whatever is required of me, then I have to give it back because that's how reciprocity happens. And so... I'm convinced that the power of reciprocity 
in Jobs of Life is what causes men and women to come back to volunteer once they graduate. I, I, I believe that that power of reciprocity causes that transformation to happen on both sides of the table, and um, that ensures success for JFL in its ministry aspect. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, but it it, it answers the question and, and more, uh, and uh, because as I sit here envisioning all that you said, then I can see where um, sites really have to be really multidimensional in in terms of uh, dealing with the, the 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 emotional ills, the mental health issues, the um, the addictions, et cetera, et cetera, that will come walking through the door, uh, and uh, and I assume job for life is, um, is is not in the business of turning people away, but in terms of working with folks where whatever they may present at the time, then uh, then this becomes then I'm, then I'm looking at this whole thing with burnout in terms of uh, the folks who are actually um, uh, servicing the program that, that have these positions at these different sites. How, how do we deal with that? I mean, is there something right. set up? Yeah. Yeah, you know, this is this is one thing that I love to share with people. Um, first of all, you have to understand that there is a level of rest that is required of you in transformational ministry. When you're talking about relational ministry, there is a level of rest that you have to be a partaker of. And then the other thing is, is that um, when you talk about burnout, I think people take on the wrong role. Um, they take when you're talking about burnout, you become God. You mm-hmm. become God, and in relational ministry, you have to assume the position of one or two roles. Either I am the sower of the seed, or I am the waterer of the seed. It's God who gives the increase. And I think so many times, Charles, when we are in this type of ministry, we want to see the fruits of our labor. We want to see the evidence. We want to see the profit in our labor. But that's not up to us. That's up to God. And so we have to keep in mind that either I'm the sower of the seed or I'm the waterer of the seed. There are women who have sowed seed and watered the seed in my life and have gone on to, to see Jesus. Um, and they never saw the fruits of their labor in my life. But here I am today. I am a living testament of their labor of love. And regardless of back then, if they saw the fruits of their labor, which they did not, it still did not keep them from assuming that role of the the seed sower or the waterer of that seed. And so burnout comes when we take on the Messiah complex. We want to see the end. We want to see the fruits of our labor. We want to see that the effort that we're doing is making a difference. But you have to be comfortable in knowing that when you sow the seed, God eventually is going to give the increase whether you see it or not. When you water the seed, God is going to eventually cause that the increase whether you see it or not. That 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 is the main cause of burnout, us wanting to be God. Now preach wow. that on Sunday. Wow, I got that one. I wrote it down word word for word. But uh if I mean thank you. Thank you so much for taking time today to be with us, um, uh, Shea Bethia, um with Jobs for Life. Uh, you can Google Jobs for Life and, and go to Jobs for Life, jobsforlife.org, and uh, you can uh, make contact with Shea if you want to find out more about Jobs for Life. Uh, so, again, Shea, thank you so much for taking your time, and thank you for uh, the insight that you've given us today, and we thank each and every one of you for joining us on a front porch conversation on justice. Uh, just remember, as you go about this week, until we come together again next Thursday at the same time, justice is not about just us. It's about what we do for others. Have a blessed week.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.